Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Stan Schroeder, and this is a highlight reel from 2021. We had 23 new interviews and two re-releases this year, which roughly equates to 14 to 15 hours of podcasts distilled down into about 30 minutes of snippets for this highlight reel, which was not easy for me to do. So let's start with episode 80 way back on January 25th with Dr. JJ Peterson from StoryBrand describing the power of storytelling. One of the things that I studied was essentially what's called narrative transportation. When you experience a great story, um, you actually place yourself emotionally and mentally in that story. So like if you've ever said the phrase or heard the phrase, I got lost in a book, you've experienced narrative transportation. Or when you're watching a movie and the bad guy jumps out and you jump, you've experienced narrative transportation because you've put yourself in that cried when the couple kissed at the end of the movie, right? You've mm-hmm. experienced that because you are feeling what the characters are feeling. You're experiencing it along with them. Now, there's actually a bunch of rules that have to be followed in order for people to experience narrative transportation. The story has to follow a certain set of rules. It has to have what's called fidelity and coherency. The story has to stick together and it has to make sense. And if it doesn't, people don't experience narrative transportation. A lot of times we'll walk out of a movie and we'll go, ugh. I mean, there's, there's bad writing and then there's bad acting. But then really, a lot of the times when we don't pay attention to good movies or to movies, it's because they broke the rules of story. And the story doesn't stick together. It doesn't make sense. There's peace, There's too much information in there. And so we tune out. And what happens is the more rules you follow, the higher level of narrative transportation that a person experiences in a story and the higher level people experience, the more likely it is to both change their minds and their actions. A high level of narrative transportation actually helps people change their mind and actions. So kind of boiling all that down, if a story follows rules and actually helps people understand and make sense of the story... People will experience narrative transportation, so they will put themselves in the story, and ultimately that will change their minds and actions. So we know that this is true from books, that books can influence the way we think and feel and act and movies and all of that, but actually so can marketing. When marketing tells a good story, people can experience narrative transportation. They can see themselves in the story. There's research that even shows that that can happen as in quickly as a tweet or an Instagram post. Like even that short of a story can invite people in and help them engage and change their minds and actions. Next up is my guy, Jamar Jones, episode 92, describing the principle of vampires and shepherds taken from his book, Change Your Circle, Change Your Life. So the whole concept with vampires and shepherds is that uh, every day you theoretically start out with 100% energy. Mm -hmm. So just immediately when you open your eyes, when you wake up the next day, then you get hit with things that drain your energy. So you get hit with maybe you didn't get a good night's sleep. Maybe um, then you're late for work. Um, You got to get the kids on the bus or um, as you're going through your day, maybe you got to finish a big project. So that takes away a percentage of your energy. So these things, these actions start taking away your energy um, as you go throughout your day. And that's things that you know maybe you you can control and some things you can't control but 
there are people. So as you're as you're going throughout your day, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of the darkness, comes this vampire and just latches onto your neck. And you're just like, oh, what did this come from? What's going on? And then starts <laughs> to drain your energy. Literally just like just takes your energy without you knowing it and without you expecting it. And you're just like, what is going on? And an example of this is people that make their problems your problems. Okay. You know, the, these vampires are there to just drain your energy. And then it's like, you got to go deal with this vampire now. Now you got to deal, you know, with this creepy looking creature that just came out of nowhere and sucking up your time. This could be a coworker, it could be a family member, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be an acquaintance. The next interview was a triple threat match, episode 84, March 22nd. Patrick Booth and I tag teamed this conversation with Sarah Sloyan, the former senior vice president of Entree Leadership. This was really fun. Before we end, <laughs> that's all so, right. Okay. okay, I have a list of follow-up questions. So do I get to ask you guys some of my crazy oh, questions? She's ready. I'm, I'm oh, so ready. Yes. I have this okay. like notes document on my phone that I um are just crazy questions. So I'm yes. in if you're in. I, I'm, I'm in. I, I, I've been in from the very beginning. Let's go. I'm excited. <laughs> you punked us. All right. So I'll roll through these and then you, you rapid fire us. And then feel free to add context if you want to any of these. So, all right. So Brussels sprouts or broccoli? Is it roasted broccoli or raw? Roasted. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Okay. Gluten-free cupcake or 20 minutes of yoga? Cupcake. 100%. <laughs> episode of Friends or episode of The Office? Friends. Morning coffee or afternoon tea? Um, well, I'm a tea drinker, so I have to go with afternoon tea. Sigma Kappa sorority or Iron Tribe? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the worst. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to have to go with Sigma Kappa because it was like formative years of my life. All right. Uh, just so everybody out there knows, I did some research. Sigma Kappa sorority, that's what, uh, when she was in Arizona, I did some research. And then Iron Tribe is uh, a place that she works out at. Pinterest <laughs> or Instagram? Instagram. And never having to go grocery shopping again or never having to use the alarm again. Oh my gosh, never having to use my alarm. You guys, I'm a bit, I love sleep. I love it. All right, well. Okay, are you ready you, for you my did your question? Part, yeah. Okay, here we go. Do you wet your toothbrush before or after you put toothpaste on? Up until I was about 17, I did it after. But then I realized somebody told me that I was wrong. Are you a psychopath? <laughs> Am I a psychopath? <laughs> I've heard that's a sign. Like, you can jump in whenever. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something there, but you're going to find out a lot more about Steve after these questions. But go ahead, keep going. <laughs> Okay. Do you make your bed every morning? No, no. Okay. God bless no. my wife. Do you put on one sock and one shoe at a time or both socks and then your shoes? Both socks and then my shoes. Okay. So that feels normal. All right. Check. Um, and do you wear socks to bed? That's my final question. Patrick, go ahead. Uh, no. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> All right. I do. But because my feet are cold and because I'm a psychopath, apparently. So there you have it. Well, I'm still I'm still stuck on the toothbrush wetting it. I'm like still thinking about that one. But there's a lot here about apparently about who we are, Steve, with these questions. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this before before we do the last question. I had uh, as a kid, I I don't remember having like fruity flavored toothpaste. It was always seemed so minty. So I thought if I put the water on top of the toothpaste it would somehow like cool it down. 
<laughs> and it took me about 17 years to figure out that that didn't work. So, That's all right. That's a good anyway. story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the whole podcast is going to be marked by that. <laughs> I want to meet the person who puts on their sock and then a shoe and then the sock. And they, Who is that? <laughs> I don't know. I tried it the other day and it felt very weird. This has been so much fun. Again, Sarah, I just want to say thank you. Last thing I want to ask you is what's the last thing that you could give to the listeners out here today from this podcast that you just want to leave them with one last mark? I'll tell you, I think the most important thing you can do is focus on the most important leading you'll do every day is leading yourself. So I know that we're all focused on developing our team and what needs to happen for our clients, but I just want to encourage everybody carve out time because the most important leadership you're going to have every day is your own leadership, is leading yourself. So how are you leading yourself every day? How are you challenging yourself? How are you kind of assessing what you've done that day and what to do differently the next day? I think that's going to be the most important thing you're going to do daily. Let's keep rolling with episode 93 and Ella Hunskins telling us the three secrets to leadership success. And so what Matt's story really describes, those three things, those three shifts that he made, or what I have come to know is the three secrets to building strong leaders. So the first is connection, that at its core, leadership is not a job title. It's not a position. It is a relationship between a leader and someone that chooses to follow. And I say choice very intentionally because in this day and age, followership is a choice. And if you can't prove your business case, why people should follow you, they're going to leave. Sure. So step one, the skill number one is connection. Number two, it's around communication and specifically about seeking out understanding so that ultimately everyone has shared and common understanding. That is so important because without shared common understanding, you don't have a solid platform on, on which to make good decisions and then get great results. So we've got connection number one, communication number two, and the third piece that he did is around collaboration. What can you do to create an environment where people can thrive and operate at their best? Next up is my good friend, Chadworth Stillman, or Chad for short, from June 14th, episode 90, describing a very tense situation he experienced when he was an officer. But perspective is huge. Uh, a way I used it in, in, in police work was, it was 2015, roughly, um, and it was right after like seven officers had been shot in Dallas, Texas. I think five of them were killed. And I got to work that next day. At this time in my career, I was, I was an investigator with the FBI gang task force. And I got to work and um, I started getting alerts from other like FBI offices and other people around the country saying, hey, there's, there's a person in Racine, Wisconsin right now making crazy threats against white police officers. And um, so I got on it, uh, did some workup, and, and we were able to pin this guy to West Racine. And he was making some some pretty crazy threats, saying white officers should kiss their families goodbye, and that black men across America need to arm up and, and start killing white police officers. So, in light of what had just happened, you know, seven officers shot and killed, we took that very serious. We got a team together, and uh, we set up a, an operation to catch this guy. Um, it went smoothly. He didn't resist. He didn't fight. He did everything he was told to do. Um, and he went to jail with not even a scratch on him. 
because he completely complied with what we were telling him to do. And in the interview room, um, my heart was really soft toward the guy. And, and, and I just looked him in the eyes and straight up told him, look, man, the world right now wants me to hate you. And it wants you to hate me. I'm like, let's have a different narrative here. I wanted to know his perspective as a black guy in America and why he was so angry against white cops. And he shared with me why he was. But then me saying, look, man, I want to hear your perspective, opened his eyes and softened his heart to say, well, tell me your perspective from a white cop. Mm-hmm. And uh, right there, man, like the 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 walls came down and I was able to talk to this guy just like a normal friend. Well, I'll fast forward. Um, became friends with this guy. His name's Byron. We still talk probably a couple times a year. Uh, he attended a Bible study with me for a while after he uh, got out of jail. And uh, he just like published a book. So, oh, he did? Yeah, yeah. And he's he's doing well. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good guy, but that was a really clear-cut case that I can remember from my police yep. um, world about perspective. Because I could have easily came in and been like, you piece of garbage, you want to mm-hmm. kill white cops? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but my heart was soft, and that wasn't of me. That was, you know, I'll just straight up say it. That was my faith, you mm-hmm. know, that, that allows me to do that. I wasn't always like that. Chancellor Debbie Ford from the University of Wisconsin Parkside. I love this lady. Now, she was episode 87, released on May 3rd, and this clip is her breaking down how she and her team responded to the crisis of COVID and the Parkside campus. One of the first things that we did, Steve, was I converted the cabinet uh, to be the pandemic executive response team. And I had been through other sort of crises before uh, at the University of West Florida with hurricanes, and there are different stages of a crisis. So preparation is always first, then there's response, then recovery, and then, you know, sort of thriving in this next normal. And so we immediately shifted into a, our response team, and we met daily for about 30 days, uh, including some weekends where in some days it was in morning and evening, uh, just to be able to, okay, these are the things we're concerned about. And we set Mm -hmm. those three main goals. First, what do we need to do to protect the health and safety of the campus community? Second, how do we deliver our academic mission and ensure that those students that are enrolled, that we're able to continue to offer our courses and they can graduate and complete their semesters and also offer um, programs and services that support our students in a new in new ways. We also had a number of students living on campus, and how do we transition those students? Do they want to stay? Do they want to go home? Um, how do we deliver food service? I mean, there were so many decisions, and we captured those. The whiteboard is in my office now; it's on wheels, and it is now covered with you know all the things that we're working on, and you know our big strategy and our plans. But at that time, and I have pictures of this. It was the different decisions we needed to make, who was responsible, and what additional information do we need to know in order to make these decisions. On we go. April 5th, episode 85, Neandre Broussard explained how and why he's leading change in the narrative of Black men. Frederick Douglass set out to be the most photographed individual, period, around that time, right? Um, Anyone asked Frederick Douglass to take a picture. 
he sat down and took it. Reason being is that he wanted to provide a different light to what the black male was versus the, at that time, a black man in chains or a black man in servitude or a black man in slavery, right? And so, you know, his goal was to, if I take as many pictures, and these pictures are going to be sent out to as many places as possible, they're going to see me and they're going to have to think differently about, you know, people that look like me. And so looking at the narrative uh, that surrounds the black male, it's really, our focus is really breaking down the stereotypes, right? And and the, the biggest part of that is breaking down the stereotypes for the generation that it impacts, not necessarily breaking down the stereotypes for the oppressor that has given that stereotype to that organization, to that group, that makes sense. So really looking at it from an aspect of if, if, if I can change the narrative of how Black men are perceived even within their own culture, even within the young boys that are seeing the negativity and saying, well, I guess I'm, I am supposed to be a, you know, uh, this individual that, that does these activities that ends up in this particular place for the rest of my life. I'm supposed to do that because that's what the, that's what I'm shown. That's what the narrative that surrounds me currently is written. That's what that displays. And so if I can change that narrative to where, you know what, the optimism that comes with that, your, 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 your opportunities are limitless. If you, if you see it, you can be it, right. That type of perspective uh, around really putting more uh, focus on the opportunity that comes with being a man and itself, right? Because a lot of the narrative around the black man is, it's, it's, it seems to be not even human. It seems to be a level lower than your everyday citizen. And so if I can debunk that and offer something that shows a different light to that, and that becomes the norm, that's the focus that we're looking at in regards to changing that narrative. I absolutely love this stuff. Okay, Sarah Ray Stolinga was with us on June 28th, episode 91. We're jumping into minute 23-ish with Sarah talking about the most valuable skill in leadership. It's not easy, uh, but I would say even though turnaround is a highly specialized version of leadership, that leadership prioritizing is among the most important skills that you have to pay attention to as a leader, no matter what kind of organization you're running, no matter how big or small or what stage it's in. Um, you, how you spend your time as a leader is the, it's the most important determining factor of, of how successful you can be. I think the tree, I mean, when I coach executive directors who are, you know, leading for the first time or, you know, people who report to me who are leading sub pieces of the organization, I always tell them prioritization and how you spend your time is, is just key. Your time is your most important asset more than anything else that you have. And so, you know, I, I think I told, told you earlier on that, one of the things that I really, one of the skills that I'm very grateful that I have is being able to look around the corner. And so what I did is I looked to the, the future end game. Where do we want to be 18 months from now? And then you have to map backwards to where you are now. Todd Bolsinger is a goldmine. He's been on our podcast a few times, and this episode aired on February 8th, episode 81, and he was with us to dive into his book, Tempered Resilience. Now, you're going to hear some popping in this clip. That's the fire that Todd's sitting by as we did the interview. 
pretty cool. But here's how we get to be a leader that's resilient. This is like the blacksmithing metaphor, right? So if you think about yourself as like a piece of steel, right? Just raw steel, your raw material of, of your character, of who you are. Um, and then you think about the process of how a piece of raw steel becomes a tempered tool. What happens is it goes through a process of heating. It goes into the fire and it has to be fired to the place of it where it's almost liquid, right? It's like it's, it has to become like literally melted down. And that experience for a leader is the experience of vulnerability. So here's one of the paradoxes. Tempered resilience, strength and flexibility comes by letting yourself experience vulnerability in your leadership. It's almost the complete opposite that we think. We think to be strong and to be tough, we need to fake it till we make it. People who fake it till they make it, fake it until they break it, <laughs> until their approach is broken, right? <laughs> what you actually have to do is you have to be able to become the kind of person who can embrace, at least with yourself and people that you trust, the vulnerability of, of this moment so you can take on the shaping. And so the transformation that's needed, the character formation that's needed, starts in vulnerability. And then just like a heated steel is put on an anvil, it requires relationships. So you don't face that vulnerability alone. You face that vulnerability through thick, uh, solid, heavy relationships like an anvil. And I say that every leader, therefore, needs partners, mentors, and friends. You need all three of those. So if you're going to lead, and especially if you're going to go through the vulnerability that takes the lead change, you're going to need to have a solid group of people. You cannot do this by yourself. One of the coolest interviews I did this year was with Wisconsin's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, published on May 17th, episode 88. Here's a clip where I almost stumped him. What's been one of the most surprising lessons that you've learned since taking office? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think you may, you may have stumped me with this one. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, you should you should absolutely take that as a compliment. I did it. I did my research, and <laughs> and and Nicole, who edits this, uh, she'll be listening back, and we can edit this part down. Take no, no, let's not edit it. Let's keep this as real as possible. Okay, all <laughs> this right. Is, this is this is good. This is good. I like I like I like being on my toes this way. Um, I, I would just say, I guess I can even go back to the last part of the conversation. Like there are different expectations uh, for for different people, and. A lot of times, you know, so many people can just show up uh, for the first time uh, because they weren't expected to show up at all and get a whole bunch of credit <laughs> uh, just because they finally decided that this is the time to, to, to come out. And when there are people who've actually been, you know, you become a fixture in this work, people don't necessarily give you as much and it's not about getting the credit by any means uh it is it, it is about just expectations and how those expectations just are not uniform and i think that's probably one of the biggest biggest uh surprising lessons we're ending our third year as a podcast and in september we launched a community to expand the reach we are committed to equipping, connecting, and growing leaders. This snip from episode 95 is Patrick explaining what the impact of leadership community is all about. Number one, we want to be able to bring courses mm -hmm. uh, to the community where these are going to be trainings. Uh, there's going to be a mix, a little bit of some things you can do yourself. Plus, I think some recordings that we've talked about that you're going to be doing, Steve, of teaching mm -hmm. um, groups 
Uh, I know that mastermind groups is what a lot of people have referred to in the past, but we believe it as your own personal uh, small group mm-hmm. that you can come to. Uh, I call it therapy group uh, in some <laughs> of the sessions that I've done uh, because sometimes I feel like we all come in and we just get to unload, but that feels really good to be able to just talk about that. Yep. Um, events, I know Steve, you and I mentioned fun, but we also want to bring this community aspect and we understand we're all over the country. Uh, we were made for community and I think COVID taught all of us what it feels like when you shut that down and you can't be with people mm-hmm. mentally uh, it does something yeah. when you can't be with others. And so we want to be able to, hopefully, uh, we all continue to have this great opportunity to do events together. Uh, again, not just locally here in the Wisconsin-Milwaukee area, but we hopefully will be able to do events all over uh, the U.S. And then um, coaching. Um, I know, Steve, you know, we want to be able to give people direction one-on-one. Yeah. Uh, groups are great, but sometimes you want to go more specific on something. Yeah, more and details. Just the yeah. one-on-one. So we're going to be able to do that. Um, and then lastly, I think we're going to continue to give free stuff. So all the stuff I mentioned before was for the community uh, where you'll be able to be a member, a paid member to have that. Again, not at a high cost where it's going to break the bank, but we are a small business. You're a small business. We're going to make it a small business price that everyone can feel good about. And then the free stuff's going to be the blogs and the podcast, of course, because uh, that's what we want to continue to do is give um, opportunities for everyone to grow. Groove Life CEO Peter Goodwin is a madman and is the leading producer of Silicone Rings. Do a search for Groove Ring and you'll love what they're all about. Episode 86 from April 19th, I sat down with Peter and he kept it real about the importance of surrounding yourself with great people. Here's the, here's the main fear. I'm not enough, right? I suck. I'm a poser. I, I don't have what it takes. I'm too educated. I'm not educated enough. I'm fat. I'm skinny. I mean, like just name all your fears or all your limiting beliefs um, and then be able to identify those and then be like, hey, yeah, you're right. I'm not educated enough, but the guy over here is and I can hire him and you can, you know, you're 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 secure enough in who you are and who you're not that you can fill in the gaps. And that is absolutely one thousand percent the key to success. Now, of course, you got to have a product that sells in the marketplace. But if you can hire people, if you can marry people that are smarter than you and, 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 and offset your, you know, your craziness like my wife does, if you if you can surround yourself with people that are, you know, if you can swallow your fear of in, in the in the, the voices in your head that you're that you suck and, and actually agree with them and then say, hey, you, you know what? I do suck at 90 percent of things, but I'm good at these two things and then hire out. You're, you're, you're going to be successful. So that's how I lead. I, I do not go into a meeting, even as a CEO, thinking I know the solution. I always say, hey, what's the solution to this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes everybody comes up with a really dumb resolution and I take control and tell them what it is. But but most <laughs> of the time they come up with a greater idea than I do. You know what I mean? Or we make decisions based off data like, hey, we need to do this on this product because oh, it's going to be epic. And everybody disagrees with me. And I'm like, okay, well, somebody do a survey with, you know, or Groove Insiders or whatever, and let's get some data. So you got to be able to swallow your pride mm-hmm. and, and, and go with the data. Logan McCoy is up next from episode 89, talking about what makes him successful. Something about me is it's, it's kind of that uh, sick, dark side of like, I just love it when it can get dark and grim. Ha! Got you, Logan. Logan's a colleague of mine, and I'm so happy that I get to mess with him. Uh, I'm sure payback will be not as fun, but now let's play the full clip so that you know what he's actually all about. Something about me is it's it's kind of that uh, sick, dark side of like, I just love it when it can get dark and grim. And let's like, just there's, game on. Yeah, there's only one option. Like, it is do or die, same yes. one type of a thing. Like, I do, I love that. Um, I love that type of challenge. 
So I think for me, I was excited, just like the whole thing of moving into VP of sales where mm-hmm. I didn't know in any way, shape or form what I was doing. I'm, I'm both frightened and excited. It was the same thing with the services role. It's like, I'm excited about what we can do here. And if, if this works, how awesome this is going to be. And also frightened of like, ah, I don't want to fail, mm-hmm. but at least I tried. Right. Yeah. And so, but it drove you, it drove the, me. the potential for failure drove you versus scaring. You. It did. Yep. Okay. Always does. And so, I mean, when I got into the department, I, I remember very clearly the first day I came over there and Patrick made the announcement. He pulled the whole team together and just said, Hey, this is where things are. This is what we're going to be doing. I'm putting Logan over here. And at the time it was like, he did say, he's like, this is just an interim thing. This isn't necessarily going to be like a a permanent, we're feeling this out if this works or not type of a thing. But he just kind of gave some expectations of what he was thinking. And then he he turned the floor over to me to to more or less give my, my opening speech, right? My inauguration speech of like, Hey, I'm in this department. What do I expect now? And, and I do remember looking out on everyone and, and I just felt skepticism. I felt this sure. sense of who is this guy? This is guy from the sales department, right? right? How is he yeah. going to lead us? How is he going to know? And and I felt that myself coming into it of I'm not going to come in and try and fake this here because there's no point. So for me, and, and as you know, like as one of our core values, humility. So yes. I came in and was open and upfront. I said, I am not going to come in here and try and tell you how to do your job. I'm not going to come in here and try and say that what you're doing is wrong or that I'm going to come in and say I know what to do from a technical side. I want to come in here and I want to learn. But what I want to do is I want to help us achieve what I know we all want to actually be a part of. Like, we don't want to be a part of a losing team. We want to be a part of a team that's moving things forward and is doing something that matters. Because as you know, like we work with clients that do really incredible things, yes. that work with kids with special needs, that deliver food in third world countries when there's been a massive earthquake. Like That's who we get to support from an IT side. So we're not just pushing numbers here to help someone make an extra buck, oftentimes we're dealing with life or death matters in some cases, right? Because we also help a number of healthcare organizations. So if they can't get their data off their x-ray and their clinics and they can't run the way they need to, like they can't provide the healthcare that they that they mm-hmm. need to for their, mm-hmm. their patients. And so for us, it was that thing of casting that vision of, guys, I know what you do matters. I know it's hard right now and I know it's clunky. I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to make the investment to spend time with you to figure it out. Episode 100, Dr. Tamara Rosier. Now, she was the fourth in a five-part series on mental health. Please consider checking out the entire series and forwarding it along. We had a great response from it. Uh, Tamara is going to join us for a webinar on leadership and ADHD in Q1 of 2022. So keep an eye out, keep an ear out for that. But for now, a clip from her interview. I'm talking about the tasks that we don't want to do that aren't fun and aren't emotionally stimulating. The laundry, pulling weeds, stuff like that. That's exactly it. So the first trick is avoidance altogether. And it's the la la la, I can't hear you. So that's that's when I clean out my sock drawer instead of studying for an exam. And I feel very productive because I'm getting other things done. I'm just not getting the thing done that I need to get done. You see that kind of little cognitive trick we play? I, Yeah, it's a killer. Uh, Then the next one is uh, anxiety. And a lot of us do that. If we pour enough anxiety, it's like gasoline on our, you know, feelings and emotions, then we're kind of spurred into doing it. And so the anxiety kind of gets us going. 
then um, sometimes we, we're so clever, we combine the two. We combine avoidance and anxiety, and that comes up with procrastination. And so we wait till the last impossible moment until it's nearly impossible for us to get it done. And then we spring into action. We beat, I mean, just by one minute before the deadline. And then we're the heroes in our own story. Um, now, remember, all these bad tricks come with a high emotional cost. But, you know, that, we'll pick that up later. Um, so another bad tool, tool we use is shame and self-loathing. Especially adult women with ADHD, I have found, tend to use a lot of shame and a lot of negative talk to kind of muster the emotional um, oomph that they need to do a task. Um, and finally, anger. Uh, unfortunately, anger is a great motivator. Um, it's why I passed uh, my doctoral level statistics class. I was angry and decided to really learn it. Um, I wouldn't recommend this approach, uh, but I did learn stats out of spite. All right, we made it. I hope that got the intrigue flowing to go back and listen to an episode or two. Here's a takeaway and action item from this year. Takeaway. Of course, I can't just have one, so here's two. Number one, mental health is real and needs to be talked about more. Number two, 2021 was a fight for most of the year in business. Action items. Number one, lead yourself first. Make sure your inner life is stronger than your outer life. Number two, for action items, get a mentor, coach, group to help you stay the course. Life's way too hard to do this thing on your own. Well, 2022 is almost here. And if you're looking to jumpstart your leadership, check the show notes for resources and links to the Impact of Leadership community. We've got some awesome episodes kicking off the new year on how to expand your influence and do work that matters. Make sure you subscribe or follow in whatever platform you're using right now. And until next time, from all of us at the Impact of Leadership, Happy New Year, and thanks for listening.